Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the Orchid Blooms podcast. Welcome back, bloomers. My name is Orchid Brown. I'm the host of the Orchid Blooms podcast. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Orchid I Brown. I hope you're enjoying this Easter long weekend. I know I am. I'm taking this opportunity to get some much needed rest. Other than this podcast episode, I am cleaning up, um, making body butter for myself and my mom, but the ultimate goal is rest. So I will see if I can get a a jog in outside in this weather sometime this weekend. I'm not sure. It's kind of chilly out. I mean, the sun is out, but it's, it's still, you know, chilly. So I really hope that you all enjoy your time with your family that you get some well, much needed rest and you know you just you just enjoy this long weekend we have friday till monday off it's great and just enjoy it so this podcast episode is on christians and jesus it's also our easter special which i haven't done before so this is my first time but i decided to definitely do a controversial topic that will keep you guys entertained or feeling some sort of emotions. I'm not really sure which one, but you can definitely tell me all about it on uh, my social media pages uh, through Messenger or, you know, commenting on specifically the post regarding uh, this Easter special. One of the reasons why I decided to do this episode is because, well, it's Easter. Easter is a holiday with a bunny and spring colors and chocolate eggs and happy hunting, you know. Good Friday is significant in history because it was the day that Jesus died on the cross. Not sure if this is completely accurate, but that is what they say. Jesus died on Good Friday. We celebrate that he died on the cross for our sins. It was the end of sacrificing animals to pay tribute to the Lord, our creator. The day is in remembrance of what Jesus had to give up so we could live. To remember that our sins means death and that we are all sinners and to be kind to one another. Jesus performed miracles in a time when it was never seen before. When people needed hope, people needed saving, people needed faith. And in a time when kindness and generosity was a privilege for the rich. There was a large crowd of of people from where he lived, his apostles and his followers were present to witness his death. Some were filled with joy to watch and others were filled with sorrow. A mother watched her son die. His apostles, who he spent a long time with in prayer, meditation and and mentorship, denied their friendship to please the masses. He was betrayed by a friend, Judas, who killed himself later, abandoned the gold he was offered to betray his friend, Jesus Christ. He committed suicide. Jesus rose again three days after his brutal and painful crucifixion. The ultimate miracle is what Jesus did on that third day. Christianity offers faith, hope, and redemption to humanity. Christ willingly sacrificed on the cross to save the sins of every man, woman, and child who has and who will ever live. It's said willing because he was aware of Judas's betrayal and he didn't run. He was scared. He felt his friends and followers had abandoned him. He was completely and utterly alone, but 
he had his father, his father's promise that his sacrifice would not be for for naught. It wouldn't be in vain. He could have been bitter, resentful, and hated mankind, but he didn't. He loved people. He saw greatness in us. Even when he was mocked, they shouted insults. They gave him a crown made of thorns. He bled when they put it on. The Romans called him the king of Israel. As I was reading all of this, I cried. I wouldn't have wished what he experienced on anyone, not even my worst enemy. To me, it showed me what humanity are really capable of. No one saw that Ming Jesus, the king of Israel, was mocking them. The Romans were mocking them. You put this innocent man on trial and demand his death after all the good he had done. He is your king and his death is on your hands. That's basically what the Romans were saying and doing the entire time. There are a lot of brutality in the Bible, but Jesus' death ushered in darkness and then light. The teaching of Jesus Christ includes love God, love your neighbor as yourself, forgive others who have wronged you, love your enemies, ask God for forgiveness for your sins, Jesus is the Messiah and was given the authority to forgive others. Repent for your sins is essential. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't judge others. The kingdom of God is near and it's not the rich and powerful, but the poor and weak who will inherit the kingdom. Let's try to follow these teachings. No one can claim that they have accomplished all this. Doing all this equates to peace. You will experience true contentment and peace if you follow these examples of Jesus's teachings. Who doesn't want to experience true peace? I mean, honestly, I do. So I'm going to try. I don't know if I, I can say that I've accomplished all of those things on the list. I don't know about loving my neighbors as I love myself because some people out here are crazy. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about loving my enemies. I mean, I don't wish them the worst. I just wish them karma. But I personally wouldn't go out of my way to inflict pain onto someone even if I didn't like them. You know what I'm saying? So I can't necessarily say that I, I have excelled in that area. And definitely when it comes to judging others, that is something that... I struggle with and this is something that I learned from a young age just being around a lot of Christian people growing up with them and just seeing how they just judge each other they judge their neighbors they they judge people they don't know and so based on that it's just I it's something that I learned to do and it's a very hard habit to break I mean I'm still working on not judging people but I mean when they piss me off I go into full judgment mode like full judgment mode. And I'm trying, I'm really trying. But this is something that I have inherited from my parents and my grandparents and just the people that I grew up around. And, and I'm referring to adults, not kids, adults. who go to church every Sunday. They're always praying for people. They're always doing the most, talking about God constantly, walking down the street praising like a crazy person. 
And so this is this is what I learned. This is what I learned. And I know that it's bad, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And so I'm kind of glad that we're having this conversation because now I can actually talk about my true feelings towards Christians, people that I grew up with, people that I was friends with at some point in time. Let's have that conversation, don't you think? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In our time, it is difficult to experience pure peace and i mean pure peace i mean most people get that when they're dead if if they do i don't know i've never been dead but that's the only time i feel like people can get that rest that that peace that they're looking for because there's so much going on in the world there's so much going on in your family life in your work life uh, just your regular life even even that time that you set for yourself is disrupted somehow so wh- where is the peace where is the peace so that's what I mean by pure peace. It's just having that moment where nothing affects you, where nobody, you know, disrupts whatever mental state you're in, your emotions are intact, that complete peace, like you're in heaven. Not that I know what heaven is like, but I can only I can only imagine peace being heavenly. A common saying in the church is be like Jesus or be more like Jesus. All I can say is that is hard. And anyone who wants to aspire to that, I wish you all the best, all the luck in the world. To me, that is too much pressure for me. Living under such high expectations never made anyone happy. Living up to a king, a son of God, someone we pray to for salvation, redemption, and we pour our hearts out to daily. I guess I guess it's realistic, but most of the time people say it to others in a form of superior versus inferior. And what I mean by that is, and I'm just going to tell a story. I was really trying not to tell any stories in this podcast episode, so forgive me. But I remember when I was in church a few years back and there was this one girl that comes in the church and she's like always smiling, always chipper. But if you are a person that can sense someone's energy and see through them, it's almost like discernment. Yes, discernment. That's the word for it. Yeah. And you can discern somebody without even speaking to them. This was my experience. She seemed like a nice girl because she was always smiling, but I just couldn't stand her. I really couldn't. I am I am really a bad Christian. I'm telling you, I'm one of those people. Like if I can't if I don't like you, I just don't like you. But she seemed really nice though. But anyways, she's the type of girl that, you know, I'd be sitting in the church, just kind of waiting for everything to begin, you know, worship and stuff. And she'd come over and she'd be talking to the person either beside me or in front of me. And so, you know, when the person's there talking about what she's struggling with in her life and, you know, she needs guidance from God, she just has like this superiority complex, like the way she talks to the person. It's almost like she's talking down to them. Like, yeah, pray about it. And she starts throwing out these scriptures. And I cannot stand people who throw out scriptures because it's not it's it doesn't tell anyone that you are closer to god because you've memorized a few scriptures it's just it doesn't it doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean that you are somehow on a higher level spiritually than the person that you're speaking to because everyone learns differently i might not memorize a scripture but i can definitely understand the meaning behind every single scripture that I read and I will be able to 
you know, say it back, but in my own words, in my own understanding. And so the way she would do it is she just starts throwing out a few scriptures rather than, you know, applying that emotional aspect to the conversation. You know, when someone's saying something bad to you or saying to you, oh my God, I'm going through this right now and it's really heavy on my heart. And all she needed to do was to say, you know, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Let's pray together. That wasn't it. She was just throwing out scriptures and standing there and, you know, almost disconnected from the conversation like she didn't care. And so even though she had a smile on her face, I just wanted to slap her. I did. I'm telling you, I'm really not a good Christian. But the fact that she felt that she was more superior than everyone else because she could quote um, a Bible verse and she had a boyfriend who was basically a doormat and I mean he had great communication skills and he seemed really smart but he literally just like hung off of her and in church they, they didn't really have appropriate behavior in church like she was either sitting on his lap or you know holding his hands and they were a little too close so in my mind I'm like oh so y'all are y'all are boinking this dude's porking you that's why he just kind of goes along with everything that you say and it's not a respectable behavior to have in church because even married people don't pull that kind of shit in church but they do and so she just kind of walks around with like this crown on her head and she's riding a white horse just kind of going around just acting like you know she's there to guide people and and make sure that they're on the right path with christ and she was the one that i heard the saying you know be more like jesus from and so i never wanted to interact with her or talk to her and i think she tried but i just i just really wasn't into it i just don't like the superiority versus inferior kind of thing i don't i don't feel like that belongs anywhere no one is better than the other person you never know what that person that you think is inferior to you can teach you christians are seeking the time that jesus will come again to perform miracles and prove to non-believers that he is real I personally believe that Jesus wanted his believers to be that positive change in the world, to pass on the message that he gave his life, trying to instill in the hearts of the, and the minds of people. Everyone wants something to believe in because belief is hope and hope is living. The hope that something positive will come out of your suffering. The hope that you will survive an illness. Hope that you will be happy hope that you will find love and peace hope that you can con correct a mistake i hear a lot of people saying that religion is the problem so most people abandoned it they say that they are spiritual that's a new saying i say religion isn't the problem people are who corrupted religion i said in a few podcast episode back that people twist and corrupt things to fit their narrative and that's the reason this is this is a perfect example of what i mean by that it's called manipulation what is manipulation this part might be a long one guys get your glass of wine relax let's get into it what is manipulation Manipulation is the action of manipulating something in a skillful manner, could be clever, could be unscrupulous ways, you never know. Manipulation is the skillful handling, controlling, or using of someone or something. This is a common practice amongst Christians. You see it a lot in the church. 
They use manipulative behavior, which is actions a person uses to gain influence or control over someone else. This includes lying, denying, and, you know, passive-aggressive behavior. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Emotional manipulators often use mind games to seize power of a person, which could be uh, any situation, not just church. So I want you to understand that when I talk about manipulation, if you have not been to church, you might be able to take some of the examples that I will be providing going forward in any area of your life. It could be your home life. It could be your work life. It could be your, you know, a game you're, you're playing on a team. And that could also be a included in this as well so you might be able to relate to some of the things that i'm going to say but i'm going to use some of these examples as a reference for you know what i have experienced in the church and what maybe some of you have experienced in the church or other areas of your life you you never know the ultimate goal is to use that power to control the other person sometimes people seek to exploit those elements of a relationship in order to benefit themselves in some way the signs of emotional manipulation can be subtle. They've often, they're often hard to identify, especially when they're happening to you. You can learn to recognize the manipulation and stop it. You can also learn to protect your self-esteem and sanity. Hold on to the self-esteem part. We're going to get there after I break down manipulations. So signs of manipulations. They maintain home court advantage. Of course, if you're in the church, majority of the time, if you're dealing with manipulation within the church, then understand that that's their playground. That's what that means. They get too close too quickly. They accomplish this by oversharing their darkest secrets and vulnerabilities. What they are really doing is trying to make you feel special so that you divulge your secrets and they can use these sensitivities against you later. This is something that I kind of had a problem with when it comes to the church. And one of the reasons why I had a problem with it is that once I walked into the church, everybody wanted to know my business. And I don't like that. I don't know you. I don't care. Like they come over to you and they start oversharing to try to seem like they're friendly. And I'm not really about that. Like give me some time to get comfortable in the church first and see if this is somewhere I want to make my home and slowly and gradually build that relationship with me. But to just come out of nowhere after I come to the church like the first day or the second day and start literally throwing your baggage onto my lap to try to create this connection to try to get me to tell you something about myself or tell you secrets about myself and they ask you like 21 questions and I was like chill just chill and this is what they do this is my own experience and this is this is not just one church this is multiple churches that I have tried over a, a period of time that I I am like, ugh, you know? But anyways, this is something that I really wanted to add to the list. So the next on the list is they let you speak first. When someone or when one person or few wants to establish control, they may ask prompting questions so that, or probing questions so that you share your thoughts and concerns early with their hidden agenda in mind. They can then use your answers to manipulate your decisions. This is why I was saying prior with the other point that when they're asking these multitudes of questions over and over again, trying to basically decipher you or dissect you in some way, it made me feel very uncomfortable. It really did. And so 
that's kind of an example to also add to this one is that that's the kind of agenda they that they had behind doing that uh so the next on the list is they twist the facts they may exaggerate events to make themselves seem more vulnerable or relatable they may also understate their role in the in a conflict in order to gain your sympathy and you know what i've been in that kind of situation before in the church and for me i can literally read between the lines so if you're trying to make it seem like you are not the problem in a specific conflict and you're like oh my god i'm so hurt i just feel like i tried my best you know i'm i'm over it because i can see right through it i see i'm a very observant person so i can see what you do to people and know that the story you're telling me isn't accurate to what i have seen how you treat other people and coming to me with two faces is not really going to work for you so all i can do is just sit there and watch you make a mockery of yourself and try to fool me but you look like the fool and i'm listening and i go okay well how could you have handled it better let's talk about it and start breaking it down and the more i start asking them questions the more they start accidentally indulging and and telling me things that they didn't want to tell me to back up my theory that yeah you played a huge role in this conflict and now you're trying to sit here playing innocent and then they they didn't realize they overshared and they're like um i have to go i have to go help serve some people you know kind of thing and i'm just like oh can't deal with you people but anyways next on the list they engage in intelligent bullying <laughs> fun some manipulators presume to be the expert and they impose their knowledge on you oh yes you can find that in the church among christians not even going to tell you a story on that because i am sure i might have already because usually some of my stories have like three different lessons in them and it's not that i plan it that way it's just that that's a story that I ended up telling and realize, oh, wait, I just gave how many different lessons and I didn't break it down. But my audience is pretty smart, so I'm sure they've gotten it themselves. So I'm not really worried about it. Next point on the list, they make you feel sorry for voicing concerns. If you ask questions or make a suggestion, an emotional manipulator will likely respond in an aggressive manner or try to draw you into an argument this strategy allows them to control your choices and influence your decisions they may also use the situation to make you feel guilty for expressing your concerns in the first place an example of this again i'm really trying not to give you a lot of story um i just want you to get the message without me telling all these stories but i really have to share this one so a couple of girls and i in the church at the time when i used to go there we would get into arguments all the time. And one of the arguments that we would have is that they would always come to church and they'll always be at the front of the church on the floors on their hands and knees bawling their eyes out. And I always wondered why. But then I started realizing that all the conversations, you know, that we were having the entire time was about them getting a husband. And I thought to myself, you mean to tell me you made a spectacle of yourself in the front of the church while you're worshiping and praying. You're, you were asking for a husband? you were you were that that all about it anyways she ended up you know talking to this guy who she thinks is a man of god 
and you know inviting him over to her house she has like two kids from a previous marriage so i really don't understand why she's crying in front of church begging god to send her husband clearly the first one didn't work out and um and you know he they hang out all the time you know she's always planning occasions for them to go out with other friends so in my mind it just sounds like they're just friends but in her mind she's feeling like this is her husband and she feels it deep in her core like this is her husband she knows it keep in mind this man comes over whenever he feels like it to her home he even comes over after 10 30 at, at night and in my mind i was like as a christian woman you should know better because having a man over after a specific time of the night kind of indicates booty call but sure you can definitely tell me he's not hitting it and i'm gonna try to believe you but anyways, he'll just show up after 10.30 or 11.30. He's already hung out with her kids. And this has been going on for three years, but the dude will not, will not date her. He told her to her face, I see you as a sister. So once I heard that, I was like, all right, he's not hitting it. Okay. But anyways, in her mind, she's like, no, just give him some time. He will find himself. And I'm listening to the story while I'm in church because she's telling me, you know, in, a, in an empty congregation, like I went to the bathroom and she stopped me and I guess she wanted to talk and then she decided to sit me down and start oversharing. And she's like, Orchid, don't you want a husband? I was like, yeah, I want a husband, but on my time and on God's time. And it's not going to be because I just woke up one day and said, hey, I want a husband. And all of a sudden, God's just supposed to have him magically show up at my door. She's like, really? She's like, but you're getting older. Like, don't you want to spend your life with someone? I'm like, yeah, I want to spend my life with the right person. I want a healthy relationship. I want to build a foundation with somebody. I don't feel like just jumping into marriage is going to have a lasting effect. And she's like, but what's wrong with you? Like, you should. And anyway, she ended up attacking me and basically hating me because I didn't join her in her stupid crusade to convince herself that this man that she's been in love with for three years is automatically, magically just going to wake up one day and go, oh my gosh, she's the one. Like, for real? Anyway, she ended up hating me from that day forward and just trying to look for any excuse to, to basically make me seem like, I'm crazy for not for not wanting that. She even sent like the pastors, like I guess she went and she spoke to a bunch of leaders in the church and it got back to the pastor. And one of the pastors comes up to me and goes, hey, Orchid, like what what's going on with you? Why, why are you so against marriage? I said, I'm not against marriage. I just don't feel that we are in control of who we're going to end up with. Like I'm not gonna just wake up one morning and say, oh, I saw that guy yesterday. He is my husband. Like it doesn't work like that. And I said, the problem that I find in this church is that y'all keep pushing these girls to chase after marriage, but y'all aren't up there talking about the foundation of marriage, like what it actually takes, having that real conversation. But you guys are, you know, you have the time to sit down with these girls and shove their head with bullshit and basically make them think that, you know, marriage is this fairy tale thing. I said, I just sat down with another girl just yesterday and she was telling me how, you know, she can't wait to find her husband. The girl just finished school. She has student loans. And I asked her, I said, so how are you planning on paying your student loans? You know what she said to me? The pastor's like, what did she say? I said, well, she said that, you know, God will provide. And I said, what do you mean God is going to provide? She's like, well, God's going to provide me with a husband that's going to pay for all of my student loans and take care of all of my bills. And I said, oh, so God's going to provide you with a rich man because student loans ain't cheap and on top of that you got two children so you're expecting a man to come and be the father of your children 
be your husband and also take care of all of your debts and all of your bills and make your life simple and easy. So I was like, what are you bringing to the table? And she was like, what? I was like, what are you bringing to the table? And she goes, uh, well, I mean, I'm going to love him and we're going to have a family together. And I was like, that's it. So he's going to have to fork over all of this money to pay for all of this, to make sure that you're comfortable and to love you and to show up to church every day with a big smile on his face like he's happy to be your servant and you're not bringing anything to the table. You couldn't clear up your debt before you drag this man into this. She's like, uh, uh, so she got pissed off. So I said, if you're here trying to talk to me on behalf of this girl, I don't want to hear it. I am not the type of person that wants to go into a relationship being a burden. I also don't don't have this idealistic mindset that once you know you get married that everything just falls into place that nothing takes work that you don't need to build a foundation that you don't need to get to know the person that is something that needs to happen before you jump into any marriage a marriage is not for you to escape your life a marriage is supposed to be a blessing you're supposed to contribute to this relationship just as he's contributing to this relationship and so if these girls, she's already been married before with two kids. If these girls are running around with these ideas in their head, they're going to be greatly disappointed because marriage takes work. So the pastor ended up saying, all right, well, everything that you said is uh, completely accurate and very true. And um, he's like, I-, I feel like as a pastor of this church that we try to definitely mentor to these kids or these young girls about, you know, the realistic world of marriage and how it's work. And I said, no, you don't. Because if these women would not be coming out with these foolish ideas about all these rainbows and fluffy cottons just falling from the sky and they're dancing around, like, are you are you freaking serious? So then he just kind of looked at me and he's like, you know, Orchid, we need to find you a pastor. I said, no, sir. I said, nope, not looking to have that struggle life. And he's like, what? I said, I'm not looking for a struggle life. You think I want to marry a pastor and be unhappy for the rest of my life? He's like, it's a blessing to be married to a pastor. And I said, yeah, tell that to a lot of these first ladies out here dealing with all these drama in churches, you know, being judged, having her husband cheat on her, and she's dealing with all of this mess and also still have to carry the burden of every single woman in the church. I can't deal with that. And on top of that, you know, depending on the type of church that you're working for, if you're not getting enough tithing, like good luck with your big house and all of that stuff, you won't even live comfortably. You're going to have to kiss ass for the rest of your life just to get a paycheck out of the people. So I said, nope, not looking for a struggle life. No, thank you. He was, of course, offended and that's fine with me. But no man's going to, you know, invite a pastor, a single pastor to the church to speak and then start, you know, ushering him over to this to the single young ladies and think that I'm going to participate in that. Nope, because, you know, church has this hookup culture. It's kind of like their own Tinder. They don't have an app for it. But if you want to find a husband, go to church. Because that's what they say. You want a husband? Come to church. We'll pray for you and we'll guide you and we'll find you a husband. Do you take the time to talk about marriage and and what it takes to be married? No. We're just going to find you a husband. So come to this church. Tithe every Sunday and pour your money into this church and God will bless you. Yeah, okay. Of course, the point of all of that was to make me feel guilty because I would not join into the clique of, of single ladies who are desperate for a husband. I said, why don't you just stand up at the podium and yell at the top of your lungs to the entire church and just say, I'm looking for dick. 
give me some dick because literally the way you're acting, being desperate, chasing these guys, trying to get them to love you, trying to get them to marry you within a record time because you're expecting that engagement ring within three months of starting to date them, I wish you the best of luck, my friend. No one's going to guilt me for expressing my concerns, especially to girls that are being idealistic about what they think marriage and, and the real world is and for you know pastors who don't necessarily realize that they need to actually educate some of these young girls or women who are so idealistic on the true nature of a marriage period next on the list they diminish your problems and play up their own okay if you have a bad day Emotional manipulators may take this opportunity to bring up their own issues. The goal is to invalidate what you're experiencing so that you're forced to focus on them and exert your emotion, emotional energy on their problems. I do have a story for this, but let's just move on. Um, they act like a martyr. Someone who manipulates people's emotions may eagerly agree to help with something but then turn around and drag their feet or look for ways to avoid their agreement they may act like it's ending up um, being a huge burden and they seek to exploit your emotions in order to get out of it hmm, i have a story for that too but let's move on um, they're always just joking when they say something rude or mean Oh man, experience that too. In all areas of life, I really do love people. Can't you tell? Um, critical remarks may be disguised as humor or sarcasm. They may pretend they're saying something in gist when what they're really trying to do is plant a seed of doubt. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've been there. Let's not share that story. They don't take accountability. Oh my God. I feel like I'm back there. They will never accept responsibility for their errors. They will, however, try to find a way to make you feel guilty for everything. From a fight to a failed project, you may end up apologizing even if they're the ones at fault. <laughs> Next on the list. They're always criticizing you. Yes, that that judgment kind of sneaks into that statement especially when you're dealing with these types of people emotional manipulators may dismiss or degrade you without the pretense or gist or sarcasm their comments are designed to chip away at your self-esteem they're they mean to ridicule and marginalize you. Often the manipulator is projecting their own insecurities. Example, you don't you think that dress is a little revealing for church? Yeah, I've been there. I remember, you know, coming into to church and every single time I come to church, like this one woman's always commenting about what I'm wearing. It could I mean the dress could be you know, below my knee. But for some apparent reason, I have tits. So, oh my God, your tits are, are moving in your dress. And I was like, well, fuck, they're my tits. Like, what do you want? You know what I mean? And so I wear another dress now and it might, my, my butt might be showing a little bit. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you're wearing that, that dress to, to church. And I go, what? I have a fat ass. You got a problem with that? My body, this is how God made me. 
the clothes weren't made for my body. So however way it fits on my body, that's how it is. Get over it. If you have a problem with my body, take it up with God. Tell him to remove women's breasts and ass. And when they come to church, they just look like a wall and they could just stand there and all the men will have the gut, the tits, the ass and everything. And no one will complain. No one will say that's inappropriate. Your pants are too tight. You know, sir, you're a little fat. Why don't you get a bigger pants so we can see less of your ass? You, you don't hear them doing that to men in the church, but they love to do that to women. And so another story, and I think I've already shared the story and you might remember it. It's about a girl that, you know, came into church and she's like the kindest person I've ever met in my entire life. Like she has like this wonderful energy about her and it's real, like real authentic happiness. She was so happy to be at church. She was so happy to be around people that are, you know, Christians and prayer, prayer people and all of that. And um, she came to church one day and she dressed so nice. She wore this really nice dress and she had her nice shoes and her jacket. And she was like dressed for God. I'm telling you, she came in going, yeah, I'm coming in here and I'm going to worship and pray. And I'm telling you the amount of judgment she got from all the women who saw her looking good in the church. I It just baffled me. I couldn't believe it. I had to literally move past all of these witches and walk over to her and say, girl, you look really good today. And she's like, oh, wow, thank you. But you can tell she just started inverting inside of herself. She started to have low self-esteem, like, is something wrong with the dress? What is it me? And you can see it on her face. And I said, nothing's wrong with you. You look amazing. Don't don't listen to those those witches over there. They're just jealous. And there's a lot of jealousy in the church. It's ridiculous. And so she was like, okay. Anyway, she ended up hiding in a corner, you know, for God as she worshiped by herself and towards the end you know she came to the gathering because we always have a gathering at the end of church and it was almost like the sea the sea parted for her to walk in and this is this keep in mind like these women that are doing this are spiritual leaders in the church like they are supposed to mentor to young girls they are the ones that reach out these are the same women that would you know overindulge their own little business to get you to confess yours and right after you tell them you know what's going on in your life if it's especially if it's juicy they're going to be like oh we're going to pray for you and then they'll run over to their clique of other leadership women especially who are married and they'll just sit there and gossip about the person's life and in my mind i was like is this what you meant by praying y'all are too much but anyways so this you know she started giving her dirty looks and in my mind, I was like, are you kidding me? You're supposed to be this leader in the church and especially leader leader to women. And this is how you're going to treat a young girl. You are 70 years old. She is like 21. And this is how you're going to behave? I was so upset. I just grabbed her and say, hey, why don't we just go outside? And we ended up going outside and I was like, you know what, give me your phone. I'll take a picture of your dress. You look wonderful today. And I took a picture of her and you can tell she was just awkward when I was taking the picture. Like she kept looking around like people were judging her. I gave her back the phone and I said, listen, just go home and have a good day, okay? And she's like, yeah, thank you. But this this is what I mean. This is what I mean by that specific statement. Like don't make these girls, make them judge themselves, make them start wondering, like, is this appropriate? You know, I mean, it's long enough length, but they're going to find another problem with it. I think I came to, to 
church one day and I had a hole in the side of my dress because I ripped it. And this woman comes over and sticks her finger into the dress and pokes me in the side. And she's like, you have a hole in your dress. And I was like, thank you. And then I just ignored her and went back to my conversation because at this point, I was like, get the hell out of my face. Keep in mind, she was a pastor's wife. <sighs> Man, did I have to deal with enough. Next on the list, they use your insecurities against you. When they know your weak points, they can use them to wound you. They may make comments and take action that are meant to leave you feeling vulnerable and upset. I've been there and I'm not sharing that story because this is going to be a very long podcast episode if I tell you a story for every single one of these things. Next on the list, they use your feelings against you. They try to make you feel guilty for your feelings. They may accuse you of being unreasonable or not being adequately invested. Next on the list, they use guilt trips and ultimatums. During a disagreement or fight, a manipulator or a manipulative person will make dramatic statements that are meant to put you in a difficult spot. They'll target emotional weaknesses, with inflammatory statements in order to elicit an apology and so i i can actually use this situation in multiple situations not just the church so this is what i mean by there's a lot of points that i'm going to be dropping when it comes to manipulation that you can literally just identify in other areas of your life uh, with other people that have maybe nothing to do with the topic at hand. Next on the list, they're passive aggressive. A passive aggressive person may sidestep confrontation. They use people around you, such as friends, to communicate with you instead. And they may also talk behind your back to other followers. See the story I told you about that girl and the pastor coming to me to ask me about marriage, that's exactly what happened. So yeah. So I'm not going to, actually no, I have one more left on the list. Uh, they give you the silent treatment. Um, in the church, they ignore you or act like they don't see you. That's a basic response to either embarrassment or pride or ego. I can say I've experienced that too and I thought it was hilarious because the person was in the wrong and I guess they just didn't want to interact with me because they knew I embarrassed them when they thought they were they were having the upper hand in their behavior. So next, they say or do something and later deny it. The technique is meant to make you question your memory of events when you no longer feel certain about what's happening, they are pinpointing the problems on you, making you feel responsible for the misunderstanding. I can give you a story on that too, but let's move on. They're always too calm, especially in times of crisis. Manipulative individuals often have a reaction opposite of the one you're manipulating. Hmm. This is especially true in emotional um, charge situation so they can use your reaction as a way to make you feel too sensitive you then gauge the reaction based on theirs and decide you were out of line okay i've been there too moving on they leave you questioning your own sanity gaslighting is a manipulative method with which people try to make you believe that you can no longer trust your own instincts or experience they make you believe Things that didn't happen are a figment of your imagination. You lose a sense of reality. I've been there too. 
But there was a lot more that was on this list for emotional manipulation and the signs, but I did not include them in this podcast episode because some of the ones that were present were not related to the topic, and so I left that out. And um, I just wanted to give you a, a bit more understanding as to why the list seems a bit shorter than normal yeah it is (laughs) i had to shorten it at this point i'm trying not to have this podcast episode be more than an hour but it might just get to that level and so forgive me if you are listening to this podcast episode and you're like oh my gosh she's like reading a novel to us i'm sorry i really am but I'm just trying to break it down so you can actually relate to some of these situations. And if you are someone that goes to church and have experienced, you know, a number of the, the lists that I have mentioned to you, then yeah, it's it's so that you kind of understand what is happening to you. Because I'm sure you're telling yourself, this is all in my mind. There's no way this is happening. This person has a smile on their face while they're doing it too. So it kind of confuses you. And that was something that I experienced. Is that I real and I even made a comment about this in church. And I said to one of the, the leaders in the church, and she's notorious for this, I said, you know, some of the people in this church, it's like they'll insult you or they'll say something to you and they'll have a smile on their face to make it seem like it's okay what they just did to you. So I guess I can just go out into the world and mistreat people or speak to people in an ill way and just put a smile on my face because it's, it's normal, it's right. And she just kind of had this like weak smile on her face because she knew I was talking about her and I just pointed out that yeah I can see right through you so (laughs) that's that's um that's um my last story hopefully my last story oh my god I hope it's my last story I'm so sorry if another story comes up but I'm a storyteller and it's it's the stories are connected to the topic so it's not like I'm I'm taking you on a a journey off somewhere into the world and you're like this is nothing to do with the topic so i'm i saw i'm sorry the one thing that christians like to claim is that they aren't of the world meaning they aren't like regular people they are above such behaviors but everything they do is exactly like the people they judge before i move on to the topic of judgment there is something that i need to go back and kind of talk about So let's talk about self-esteem. Your self-esteem gets attacked a lot in the church and Christian communities, especially for women. Sexism in the church does exist. I'm not going to focus on the fact that women are the ones serving, cooking, cleaning the church. We aren't going to get into unequal pay. I won't even talk about how women need to smile all the time, speak only when spoken to, and be meek and submissive. I have already mentioned the harsh criticism of how we dress due to our curves and full body parts. What I would like to focus on is the stress of marriage. Because if you had a husband you are an honorable woman. And I know I've already touched on the marriage aspect and I just I already gave my opinions on what I feel the the areas that the church needs to improve on educating young women about marriage, but this is more about, you know, the image that women have to carry being a wife. You know, so if you have a husband, like I said you are an honorable woman, you're a godly woman. The amount of girls in the church pursuing and pressure to get married, have kids, bring all of them to church every Sunday is crazy. 
most churches won't allow you to be a leader in the church unless you are married. The pressure to be married straight out of school, at least have a man lined up, really affects the healthy growth of a young girl's mind. The church doesn't encourage healthy self-esteem in women and girls. Healthy young girls and women means they might not attend church, which means no boys or men will come. Because again, if the girls are there, the boys will show up, right? And so you have a full church of some thirsty, horny kids or horny boys that, you know, don't really know very much about sex because it's not like the church is really teaching their boys how, you know, about sex and implications and what it really means and having an understanding of that. That's why you have so many boys who are undisciplined when it comes to sex and they just want it all the time and you have all these cheating scandals and blah, blah, blah. Anywho, the point is there's no real education in the church when it comes to sex and educating boys on on you know, what that is and what it looks like, you know, get off the porn and understand that it's not real. These types of conversations need to have to be had, but it's uncomfortable for a lot of leaders in the church. And it's also uncomfortable for, for the pastors to have these conversation with their young boys. Anywho, if the girls are, are healthy and, you know, their growth games on point, they might not want to come to church. So then the boys and, and the men won't see the women in church and they're not going to be there. So, They do need girls and single girls at that. The girls are always the one encouraged to bring boys to the church that show interest in them. When you leave the church, you you go home to your Christian family that makes you feel like shit because you're not married yet. I had I had known a girl in church and one day we were sitting down and having the conversation of the pressures that she is experiencing. Keep in mind, she's still in school and she's studying. And on top of that, you know, she'll call her grandma who's out west somewhere and they're having a conversation and her grandma's like, how come you're not married yet? Why aren't any men like, you know, proposing to you? What's wrong with you? For some apparent reason, the grandmother doesn't realize that her daughter is still in school and she's struggling to figure out what she wants to do with her life. And yet you want her to not find herself and find a career that's best for her, but you want her to jump in to just hurry up and getting married to some, you know, the old school way. Because back then, women weren't necessarily pushed to get an education now in our time a woman has to get an education so she can get a good job to help support her family because one income in a household doesn't work unless you're going to find a man that makes what 120k a year so you can stay home and take care of the kids come on now be realistic majority of the guys in the church are broke they don't make that kind of money and good luck and to put that kind of burden on a dude these days, you're going to be dealing with so many issues in the marriage because you're not helping to contribute financially and the per- your husband's going to be stressed and overwhelmed and trying to figure out how he's going to give you this life and also take care of his kids and also try to find a way to, to not be miserable and be happy himself. It's a lot of pressure. So yeah, nowadays a girl needs to go out and make sure she has her education on point and get, you know, has a good job so she can contribute to helping the family and taking care of the kids. And so she's now feeling the pressure from her mother who basically met her husband, you know, when she was in college at church and then they got married because I think what she said was they got married because it was the best option. It's not because they loved each other that they got married. It was because they just wanted to have sex. So they had to get married to have sex. And so she didn't really want that life. But her family aren't considering that 
you know, her her parents just kind of sacrificed figuring out what they truly want out of life and to just choose to get married for sex. She didn't want that for herself. So on top of feeling it from, you know, her family, her granny keeps calling her going, what's wrong with her? She also has to come to church and then have to see all these girls getting married to some guy they just met and they don't really know anything about, but they pray every night together and they talk over the phone all the time. And she just feels like something must be wrong with her. And I thought, damn, what a way to to harm some someone's self-esteem. Like she was literally sitting there in the church, curled up in a ball right beside me, just feeling like shit. Because she's like, where's my husband? Mind you, she keeps meeting these great guys that are Christian. And she's the one that pursues them. Like she sees them and she goes, wow, they're so perfect. And she jumps into it and they're automatically in a relationship and they're making out and all of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, some time will pass and she'll she'll bring them to church. She'll show them off. She'll make sure everyone sees them and how amazing he is. And everyone will be like, oh my God, he's a great guy. You're so lucky to have found this one. The last one was great too. And the one before that was great too. But it seems that she always gets out of the relationship by by using the same kind of terms. What was it? I think I mentioned it in a previous podcast episode where she's like, oh, God told me that you weren't the one for me or I don't feel like we are equally yoked. And in my mind, I'm like equally yoked doesn't just happen overnight. You're not going to meet someone and then you're automatically equally yoked with them. It takes time to get to that level. One of you are going to be spiritually more mature. It could be the guy and it could be the girl. And in order for you to be equally yoked with this person, this is an effort and work that you both have to put in to make sure that you're both on the same level. So if you're behind or he's behind, he's going to have to work harder. You're going to have to work harder to get to that level. So you both become equally yoked. It's not something like, oh my God, I just bumped into this dude in church and we're equally yoked. Like, what is that? Anyways, so she would, she would say that. And she has these amazing guys who are dedicated to learning more about the Lord. They pray every day without someone telling them to. They worship every day without someone telling them to. And they're really dedicated to their walk with Christ. And so she always has the same excuses to get rid of all of them. And at some point, I just said, you know, at this point, I don't think that the guys are the problem. I think you're the problem. Because at the end of the day, you're meeting all these great guys, but you went from the honeymoon phase into deep depression. Like, he's not the one. And I was like, what was wrong with the last one? And she said, well, he's never had a Holy Spirit experience. And I was like, so? She's like, if you don't have a Holy Spirit experience, it means that you're not close to Christ. And I was like, okay. I said, where the hell was God in the beginning when you met these dudes and you jumped into this relationship? Like you basically chased after them. You got the guy. You showed the interest to the point where they were like, oh my God, this girl really does love me. And then you completely backed away and said, oh my God, you've never had a Holy Holy Spirit experience. I'm like, did you even explain it right? Because if you didn't explain what the Holy Spirit feels like, for somebody, maybe they're not going to understand. If you're asking them, did they did they faint and have a seizure and pass out in the middle of the church, then not very many people experience that. But you can still have a Holy Spirit experience without looking like without passing out. So she was like, "What?" So I said, in, "Until you learn, you know the different." scales and phases that you know people go through when they are connected with the holy spirit you shouldn't be judging him because he didn't pass out to to the holy spirit 
So she was like, well, I don't know. I just didn't feel like he was right for me. And I thought, okay, but why did you pursue him to that effort to the point where you jumped into a relationship with him so quickly, started making out with him so quickly. And then all of a sudden now, now you're considering God. Now all of a sudden God's involved. I said, girl, bye. So that's the story I kind of wanted to share in regards to, to, you know, healthy growth for a young woman especially in 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 christianity and understanding that education is so important it is so important and people just think that okay if they're going to church and they're seeking the lord like god is giving them the answer god is raising my kids for me no it doesn't work like that it really doesn't work like that you're gonna actually have to put into put in the work have that conversation with your children talk about safety Oh, if you go to a party, you know, be careful about taking drinks from strangers. You know, if you're planning on on having sex outside of marriage, let's talk about condoms. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about, you know, feelings, soul ties, all of these things. Have that conversation with your children. That includes the boys. Um, People kind of assume that boys just grow up and know. They just know everything. No, they don't. Someone has to teach them how how to have sex you know, satisfy their women. It doesn't just happen overnight. You see why these boys go to porn? Because the parenting and the education is not there. That's why we have so many guys in the church who are married and they prefer porn over sleeping with their own wife. Or they, you know, they get so bored of having sex with their wives after some time that they go and they cheat. Like these are the things that people need to, these are the conversations that people need to have with these young girls and young boys and giving them a more realistic outlook on what life and marriage is and still bringing God in the middle of it. You can't separate it. You can't act like this doesn't exist. And then when shit hits the fan, you're all like, oh my God, I thought I raised you right. Christ, please come and help us. Like nobody wants to hear that from you because it means that you drop the ball on doing your job as a parent. Using shame as a tactic to encourage people to attend church when they have so much going on in their lives. Pushing tithing from people who are experiencing financial lack with the promise that if they give... God will bless them. At the end of the day, you get tax exempt. You own a bigger house than most people attending your church. You own a cottage. You have investment properties. All off the backs of the people that need help. How are you different from the world? Is this what being like Jesus looks like? Taking from the poor and desperate, I I understand taking from the rich and the middle class. They have more disposable income. So, but from the poor, people that are struggling to pay their bills, they're stressed out and you have them coming to church, you know, seeking God to to help them figure out their financial situations and how they can make a little bit more money. And on top of that, you're like, here's a basket. Please put some money in it. If you put some money in it, you know, you'll be blessed. Like God's going to take care of everything. That's a promise that you cannot make. You really can't. And, you know, my problem is they have, I I think the last church I went to, this man had a nice house with nice furnitures and they drove like nice car. And I think the first lady, which is what they call call the pastor's wives now, first lady, she even had a government job. So they were doing very well for themselves. And I think the church was even owned by um, a father 
the founder of the church and he had property you know a condo here in ottawa he also had properties out east and so he was doing very well off and he was even traveling all the time you know going to different churches and speaking as well off money from the same church so at the same time i i I just i just didn't like that aspect taking advantage of the poor and the desperate just to to make sure that you have more blessings your beautiful home and all of that kind of stuff i completely understand why most churches target celebrities Hillsong had Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez when they were together and now it's Justin and his wife. I don't know if Selena still goes to that church or not, but I'm sure she doesn't want to really be there, you know, reminiscing on a relationship that has been so toxic for her in her life. That brought in many followers to their church. Teaming up with an idol of our modern day society pays. I mean, as much as I loved Devon Franklin and Megan Good, I just felt like that relationship was almost strategic to build the popularity of Devon Franklin and make him more like a celebrity pastor, right? Because he does a lot of films and movies and and such and such. And so she wanted a husband and he needed the clout. And I felt like that relationship worked in that sense. But He was too busy trying to change her into like the perfect Christian woman, not realizing that her job, her her career requires that she shows a lot of skin. So I felt really bad for her being married into an an oppressive society, especially Christianity, where you know, a woman is not allowed to have a particular amount of freedom. She's not allowed to wear, you know, certain types of dresses. She's not supposed to be on red carpets in skin tight clothes. She's not supposed to really show her body. And I mean, they dragged her. I can only imagine being judged by how many Christian people from the community all over commenting on your pictures, saying certain things about you online, that affects your mental health. And not one of them ever considered that they were abusing and emotionally abusing this woman because of who she was. And so I, you know, I appreciated when Devon Franklin stepped up and protected his wife and told people they needed to back off and to stop, but they're not going to stop because they don't respect you and they don't respect your relationship. And if you're going to be a pastor, you need to have a woman to fit their idea of what a Christian woman is supposed to be. And you're only supposed to marry what their idea of what a Christian woman is supposed to look like, dress, talk, and everything. And so she was abused. She was completely dragged. And I would just read these comments on Essence. And I, you know, I would see some of her comment section for her social media page. At some point, she didn't even post up a lot anymore. Um, So when the the divorce was announced, I was so happy for her that she got out of that trap of just just constantly being attacked. Like you're already being ridiculed in Hollywood, you know, saying either you're too light skinned or you're too dark or, you know, you're not gangster enough. You're not ghetto enough. We need a ghetto girl to play certain roles. We need more attitude from you. And you're consistently being attacked 
for who you are and and being judged and then you have to turn around and you see your social media where they're just blowing up with people sending you nasty messages and they're so-called christians like this is not what jesus would do but they do it anyways and they claim to be righteous in it they claim that we can do this to her because she's married to a pastor and in my mind i'm like that's their marriage it really is their marriage and you're not in their bedroom. You are not involved in their marriage. You are not married to Devon Franklin. You are not married to Megan Good. But you guys are talking to Megan as if she is your family or you are married to her. You're telling her when she should have kids, what she's supposed to wear, how she's supposed to talk, what she's supposed to do. That is that is oppression, complete oppression and uh, this is just seems to be a popular thing that people are doing and they feel like they have the right to do it because the bible told them so that right there i do not agree with so yeah teaming up with an idol of our modern day society pays it really does pay his popularity went up he was able to produce a lot more movies and he was able to get into the hollywood scene the way that he wanted to get into the hollywood scene and then you have the hillsong church which is huge and it has so many people coming in and they're making so much money the pastors are doing really well they own big gigantic houses with big lands they're doing very well for themselves very very well for themselves so at this point i kind of see church as a business it's it's literally just a business people are just making money off of it and the more people that come in the more people that tithe they get tax exempt and as well as being tax exempt they get to pocket majority of that money and build a life that they want off of the people that follow them all to say we as christians are far from where we need to be i could have gone into you know racism drove into the hypocrisy abusive behavior which i've touched on and i've touched on hypocrisy as well um cheating scandals where i mentioned and self-righteous self-righteousness but then i would need to turn this podcast episode into a series and to be perfectly honest i am not interested in doing a series touching on every single point um about you know the problems within the church and how it's just completely against their teachings and so i just want to post focus on the positive now that you know this easter special was meant to to be more you know about jesus and christians and i i really wanted to bring these topics up to kind of remind christians that do better just do better because you cannot you cannot lead your sheeps as you know since you're the shepherds you can't lead your sheeps if you're not living by example you cannot you cannot succeed for a long period of time if you're not taking your position and your authority seriously. You are going to have to actually believe the crap you say on that podium to an entire crowd and you want them to go out there in the world and live a godly life and be good Christians. You have to set that example. That's the point that I'm trying to make. So I wanted to end this podcast episode by touching on cheating scandals 
And so this is going to be a longer podcast than I expected. And I'm so sorry. This is why I had to cut it down. I provided the list that I wanted to talk about, but I'm not going to get into it. But I wanted to leave this for the last and, and the end. But after this, I promise, I promise this podcast episode is going to be over. But I did warn you that this one might be a little bit longer than usual. So cheating scandals in the church and the hypocrisy on the treatment of who gets forgiveness for cheating. If a woman cheats on her husband, it's the end of the world. She is forever deemed unworthy, not a woman of God and excluded. If a man were to cheat on his wife, then it's not good, but the woman who he cheated with is to blame. This is where I have a problem. She's the Jezebel, the temptress, the demon who came to destroy the church and he gets no blame it's not his fault people pray for him they remain silent as they judge the woman he he pursued knowing well that he was married so he was married and he chose to go after this girl he chose to go into a sexual relationship with this girl and participate in whatever knowing fully well that he was married and this is something that he was taught as a pastor or not even just a pastor but a regular attendant attendee of the church that this was wrong and they still did it anyways but he didn't get any blame it's the woman that got the blame for, for being with this married man. He understood that the church is sexist. And when I say the church, I mean the people in the church and would most likely give him a pass in a few months as long as he continues to attend church like a good boy. They all come up with excuses for him before he opens his mouth to give his own. He doesn't even need to provide an excuse, which is the weird part. But I mean, if a girl did it, she would have to come up with how many excuses bear her heart and soul because they want to see blood before they even consider forgiving her. It is already provided by most of these people in the church. And it's the worst thing is that it's coming from women, like married women making all of these excuses for the man and blaming the woman for his decision to step outside of his marriage and cheat. Now, a pastor of a church, all he needs is the leader's to rally together around him and pray for him. Then these warriors, these prayer warriors, will go out to war on the congregation to change their minds by blaming the woman he cheated with, get her kicked out of the church. Of course, he lets it happen because the people are his bread and butter. They have other influential leaders from outside the church stand up and beg for their forgiveness forgiveness in their congregation keep in mind the pastor might have done this before and they could just be hiding it but they have more people rallying around them to keep the church together to push forgiveness they don't do that for the men. Yes, they give the regular men in the church excuses and, you know, in a few months, you know, forgive them. But the pastor, he gets a whole warrior team. I mean, a team of warriors that go out there and fight for him because the church cannot fall apart because of his indiscretion. I'm saying this because I've actually seen it for myself. I have seen men who cheat on their wives in the church and how they're treated and how long and how many months it takes people to forgive them. But then when it's the pastor, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have to forgive him. He is close to God. He's a God-fearing man. And I'm like, listen, where was that fear when you were cheating? Because if you really feared God, you wouldn't have done it. 
but you did it anyways and now you're standing at the top of the podium bawling your eyes out tearing up like i'm so sorry and it's like oh my the performance of a lifetime but then when it was another man in the church or if it was a woman in the church you were on your with your prayer warriors condemning them dragging them for filth making it seem like they were horrible people but now that it's your turn you're all tearing up curled up in a ball begging the church to forgive you and pray for you it's on another level eventually the congregation will forgive him in record time of course he doesn't he doesn't have to take months it takes just a few weeks like it never happened and when people on the outside inquire about this and the scandal of this church of course all the congregation are instructed to blame the woman that's the narrative blame the woman and this goes all the way back to adam and eve eve gave adam the apple in the garden she was the one who corrupted the head the head meaning the man the the authority figure and the leader of the garden she corrupted him she might have even put a gun to his head and made him do it you know it's not that she took a bite out of the apple and then passed it to him and he could have said no no that's not the case at all the point that this the church is trying to say is that she was the manipulator in this situation she's the one that coerced adam into eating the apple and look what happened to them you know he's a man and he's a man of an authority you're claiming that adam is this great man but you've just told me that he's mindless and he doesn't know how to say no just like these men who are cheating they don't say no i'm not going to cheat on my wife i am going to be a responsible christian man and i am going to remember that i am god fearing and i'm steadfast and i'm willing to serve the lord and the lord only and not pussy but at the end of the day they still choose the pussy don't they so to blame a woman for a man's choice to cheat to to do things that are out of character of a christian man it just makes no sense to me at all completely no sense like if you're going to tell me that adam is a mindless person who cannot say no he can't lead he doesn't know what he's doing and yet you're going to put him up on a pedestal and drag her through dirt and filth and send her to hell for what she did with the apple because again adam can't think for himself you i mean how why is this this man considered a lead why is adam just still being praised and absolved from his decision he shouldn't be it's a choice that he made it means if he took the apple and bit it he wanted to god gave men choice they did god gave men a choice so you can't tell me that men don't have a choice they they don't have a choice not to cheat on their wives and and destroy their family you know a man doesn't have a choice between eating an apple because eve handed it to him you know she put a gun to his head is basically what you're trying to say to me she's a temptress she knew exactly how to get him to eat the apple but he couldn't be he couldn't focus on the fact that the that god gave him this specific description this specific instruction do not do this and he still did it anyways and it's all her fault he has to take some blame just like these cheating men don't blame the other woman blame the man he made that choice you cannot tell me that a man is a head of the household that makes a mistake like this and then you're going to blame the woman he made that choice in that moment to do that so this is the time to celebrate jesus i didn't want to 
go into too much of my rant when it came to cheating in the church and the, the fact that they unevenly provide blame to the wrong people and not the right people. It, it, I just It just always rubs me the wrong way. So this is a time to celebrate Jesus and to reflect on history. After all this, you would think that the church and Christians would know better, would learn. They read the Bible daily, sometimes weekly, and yet don't seem to understand what they are reading. Times have changed, but the church and Christians aren't. And is it the church that's the problem or certain Christians? I don't think a building can be blamed. It doesn't talk and doesn't talk back. So the problem lies with people. Anything can be corrupted. Everything that is happening now has happened before. So I am not expecting much positive changes. We are all humans, but at least try to be better human beings, at least before the world ends. So that concludes the podcast episode. Thank you for supporting the Orchid Blooms podcast. Don't forget to click on the follow button under Orchid Blooms podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Visit our social media pages for updates on our guests per week and our guests on the YouTube channel. Our social media pages are Facebook at The Ambitious Obsession, Instagram and Twitter at The Ambitious Ops. Don't forget to share your favorite podcast episode with your family and friends, and I hope you have a splendid day.